Hey, it's Jeff Krasno, and welcome to the Commune Podcast. And while part of me wishes that you are listening to this in real time, huddled with your family in front of a crackling fire and an old radio, mug of hot cider in your hand, I suspect you're actually on a highway or a treadmill. Nevertheless, it's Christmas time, and while you might not be listening to this during the holiday season, I hope you'll indulge my 1940s-inspired fantasy. I suppose it's a a strange time of year as we ponder how we went from celebrating the birth of a spiritual prophet in Nazareth to waiting for a cheery rotund man from the North Pole to shoot down our chimney. But really, I just want to take this opportunity to express my gratitude to all of you who have supported the podcast and urged me on. It's an honor to do this work, so thank you. So this week, I'm exploring a different format on the podcast. I want to share with you a couple of selected writings and speeches that have influenced me in different ways. And I keep coming back to these over and over, which I suppose tells me something about myself. I will read them and share some commentary, and I hope that they'll move you as much as they moved me. This year, I had a friend who lost a daughter She was two years old and choked at the breakfast table in front of her parents. Of course, they did everything they could to save her, but to no avail. And as the father of three daughters myself, I I haven't been able to shake this, to comprehend and accept the disorder of it. We've spoken a lot about grief on the show and how to find meaning in suffering. And I came across a letter written by the spiritual teacher Ram Das that he wrote to a family who had lost their young daughter, Rachel. Here is his letter. Dear Steve and Anita, Rachel finished her work on earth and left the stage in a manner that leaves those of us left behind with a cry of agony in our hearts as the fragile thread of our faith is dealt with so violently. Is anyone strong enough to stay conscious through such teaching as you are receiving? probably very few, and even they would only have a whisper of equanimity and peace amidst the screaming trumpets of their rage, grief, horror, and desolation. I can't assuage your pain with any words, nor should I, for your pain is Rachel's legacy to you. Not that she or I would inflict such pain by choice, but there it is and it must burn its purifying way to completion. For something in you dies when you bear the unbearable, and it is only in that dark night of the soul that you are prepared to see as God sees and to love as God loves. Now is the time to let your grief find expression, no false strength. Now is the time to sit quietly and speak to Rachel and thank her for being with you these few years, and encourage her to go on with whatever her work is, knowing you will grow in compassion and wisdom from this experience. In my heart, I know that you and she will meet again and again and recognize the many ways in which you have known each other. And when you will meet, you will know in a flash what now is not given to you to know, why this had to be the way it is. Our rational minds can never understand what has happened, but our hearts, if we can keep them open to God, will find their own intuitive way. Rachel came through you to do her work on earth, which includes her manner of death. Now her soul is free, 
and the love that you can share with her is invulnerable to the winds of changing time and space. In that deep love, include me, Ram Das. As my friend Russell said when I sent him this letter, there is God in it. These words, so eloquently woven, help us bear the unbearable, to surrender to the inscrutable. To be alive is to endure pain, and the only option to avoid grief is to also avoid love. And what kind of life is that? Ramdas does not ask us to avoid pain, and he invites us to stand squarely in it. Now is the time to let your grief find expression, no false strength. What a relief not to have to suppress pain, to store it, to harbor it. Instead, feel it. Let the salve come through the wound. Sit in the human experience, meditate on it, and then find the spiritual connection that lives in your infinite soul, unbounded by time and space. And when this love, this infinite love blossoms, you may find meaning in the suffering. Okay, now for something completely different. This next passage is an excerpt of a speech given by Robert Kennedy during his campaign for the presidency on March 18, 1968 at the University of Kansas. Kennedy was one of my absolute favorite public speakers in history. His improvised uh, address in Indianapolis the evening of the assassination of Martin Luther King was so inspired and so moving that it stunted the impending riots. He was a scholar of ancient Greece, not only its literature and philosophy, but also its commitment to idealism and public discourse. He never spoke down to people. On the contrary, he lifted us up through his eloquence. I'm not sure you would call him a spiritualist, but he gravitated to the parts of life that mattered most. Here's part of the speech from the University of Kansas. Even if we act to erase material poverty, there is another greater task. It is to confront the poverty of satisfaction, purpose, and dignity that afflicts us all. Too much and for too long, we seem to have surrendered personal excellence and community values in the mere accumulation of material things. Our gross national product now is over $800 billion a year, but that gross national product, if we judge the United States of America by that, that gross national product counts air pollution and cigarette advertising and ambulances to clear our highways of carnage. It counts special locks for our doors and the jails for the people who break them. It counts the destruction of the redwood and the loss of our natural wonder in chaotic sprawl. It counts napalm and counts nuclear warheads and armored cars for the police to fight the riots in our cities. It counts Whitman's rifle and Speck's knife and the television programs which glorify violence in order to sell toys to our children. Yet the gross national product does not allow for the health of our children, the quality of their education, or the joy of their play. It does not include the beauty of our poetry or the strength of our marriages, the intelligence of our public debate or the integrity of our public officials. It measures neither our wit nor our courage, neither our wisdom nor our learning, neither our compassion nor our devotion to our country. It measures everything in short, except that which makes life worthwhile. And it can tell us everything about America except why we are proud. 
that we are Americans. If this is true here at home, so it is true elsewhere in the world. Now, we'd be hard-pressed in today's era of neoliberalism to hear a presidential candidate give this critique of capitalism and its metrics of success. And Kennedy somehow intrinsically understood that meaning and connection was not derived from the accumulation of material goods. His embrace of values that promoted the common good and recognized our shared destiny over the excesses of individual materialism would be the most important prominent piece of his legacy and has profoundly impacted me in the way I look at society and political theory. We can only imagine what our human condition would have been for less than three months after this speech, Robert Kennedy would be dead, assassinated like his brother and like Martin Luther King. On June 5th, Kennedy had scored a major victory when he won the California primary. Leaving the ballroom of the Ambassador Hotel, he went through the hotel kitchen. In a crowded kitchen passageway, Kennedy turned to his left and shook hands with the hotel busboy Juan Romero, just as Siran Siran, a 24-year-old Palestinian, opened fire. Kennedy was hit three times. As Kennedy lay mortally wounded, Romero cradled his head and placed a rosary in his hand. Kennedy asked Romero, is everybody okay? And Romero responded, yes, everybody's okay. Kennedy then turned away and said, everything's going to be okay. After several minutes, medical attendants arrived and lifted the senator onto a stretcher, prompting him to whisper, don't lift me. These were his last words. Okay, the last segment is thankfully a bit more lighthearted. I first heard this passage from the great Wayne Dyer when I hosted him at Wanderlust Squaw Valley in 2012. It comes from the singer-songwriter Portia Nelson, who supposedly during a workshop was asked to write the story of her life in five chapters only using note cards. Here is the result. Chapter one of my life. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I am hopeless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two of my life. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three of my life. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it's there. I still fall in. It's a habit, but my eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault and I get out immediately. Chapter four of my life. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five of my life. Finally, I walk down another street. I love this little piece, so simple yet utterly relatable. Bruce Lipton says that 97% of what we do every day is unconscious. We wind up patterns of behavior, some that don't serve us, and become subconsciously enslaved to these patterns. Sometimes we need to fall in a hole 
to recognize them and unwind them. I suppose the path to wisdom includes an awareness of our patterns and behaviors and a commitment to change. Maybe even someday we don't need the whole, the crisis, to consciously address our habits. You can find this story and others in Portia Nelson's There's a Hole in My Sidewalk, The Romance of Self-Discovery, which has become a mainstay of 12-step programs. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the brilliance of these shining stars. And ironically, as I recorded this today, Baba Ram Dass passed away, joining Robert Kennedy and Portia Nelson in infinite time. Thankfully, their words stay here to comfort us, inspire us, and help us find another street. Thanks for listening to The Commune Podcast. Sure, leave me a review. But more importantly, send me an email at jeffk at onecommune.com. I want to hear from you. And in honor of Ram Dass, I sign off today with his postscript. I am Jeff Krasnow. Happy holidays. And in love, include me. <laughs>